Well, we're going to continue our uh, Foundations of Marriage series, and we're going to talk about family worship today in our subsection of child rearing, which with most of the things in child rearing shouldn't start when you're rearing children. It should start much earlier. Uh, but let's open up in prayer, <clears throat> and we'll get started. Uh, Father, we come here to, to, to learn your word so that we may follow in obedience, that you would create in us new hearts, new ways of life that would uh, uh, focus on worshiping you, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we're going to start with a survey. There's, I guess, enough people. I was going to wait until 9.45 till there was more people, but let's start now. So raise your hand if you grew up in a Christian home. Good, all of you are good Christian people. Elijah's raising his hand, that's good. Okay, so keep your hand up. Raise your, keep your hand up, raise it. Be proud. You were, you were raised in a Christian home. Okay, keep your hand raised if you had Christian parents who somewhat regularly talked to you about spiritual things. Okay, that's pretty good. My hand's not raised anymore. Um, keep your hand raised if you grew up in a Christian home where your parents regularly sat down and prayed for you. All right, we're starting to lose hands. If they regularly led you in some type of, uh, this would be like more than once a week, uh, led you in worship. And we're missing everyone except for the Burks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and there goes everybody's, right, and then, it's still half of the, half of the people, but, and then if we were to continue on uh, with, within this, the Burks family, uh, keep your hand raised if you regularly sat around and received instruction and, and uh, Christian, uh, everyone received discipline probably, but regularly in, in, received biblical instruction from your parents. Oh, good Lily. <laughs> I'm glad. And so, um, as we get into the topic of family worship, I think it's just important to note that many of us didn't grow up, many of us grew up in, in Christian homes or so-called Christian homes, but were far less than, than biblical. That's kind of the spirit of what Josiah is doing with the restoration of uh, the GCF vision, which is based on the restoration of biblical uh, Christianity series that Greg did is that we are living, we are a, a, uh, a church, we're a, a nation with churches who are living far less than a biblical vision of what we're called and instructed to do. And so Psalm 8, 1 through 2, a lot of us are familiar with it, says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And so out of the mouth of, of some translations, a little bit looser translations say that you've established praise, but it really is strength. But out of the mouth of babies and, and infants, there's some type of praise coming to the Lord. And if you've ever been around a one, two, three, four, five-year-old, that is not natural. That is not just what wells up in their heart. Uh, it's a lot of other things. And so without basic instruction in how to worship uh, and doing that as a family regularly, 
children just don't stand a very good chance of worshiping the Lord. And that's in light of, uh, we see, you know, in, in, in just in the West, in Christianity, we see uh, a large majority of children leaving the faith. And if you were to, there are, uh, Barna does really good studies and surveys and within those families that have family worship and have devotions, those numbers are drastically less. And so, <clears throat> if you look in the, if you go through the book of Titus, and um, what Paul does, I really love Titus. I'd love to do a series on, on Titus one day on just cultural transformation, because that's kind of how he starts and says, we're going to change an entire culture of heathens and pagans. And then he goes into some very practical things. But, but, but by the Holy Spirit, Paul in the book of Titus kind of lays out that there's a three-pronged approach to everybody's discipleship in the church. And it, it includes uh, elders and pastors or, or shepherds who, who give discipleship, who uh, not just preach from the pulpit, but use pastoral care and counseling in individuals' lives. There's others in the church that you get discipleship from that you're supposed to, uh, I think it's in might be at the start of chapter two where it talks about older men teaching the younger men and the older women teaching the younger women. It doesn't say pastor's wives teaching the younger women. It just says older, more mature women who are seasoned in, in the faith that have something to contribute. Uh, here's what you can teach younger women. And it says the same thing for older men to, to younger men. And then what's... Um, uh, those are a little bit more didactic in the book of Titus, but also it's, it talks about and it's assuming that there is, is home discipleship. There is discipleship in each home from parents to children. And so <clears throat> in, in what we miss out on is in our Western evangelical culture as a whole, not all churches are like this, but it, it is indicative of of or Western Christianity in a general sense, is that we sometimes get the other's discipleship, like other you know, mature Christians in the church. That happens somewhat frequently based on the level of community and programs that a church runs, where lay people could run classes or uh, have home groups and do stuff like that. And, and pastors are a little bit more distant than I think, uh, or a little bit more separated than I, than I think, uh, what we see in a biblical vision of you know just having like one on one pastoral care, which I think we as a church do really good about, but largely what Western evangelical Christianity is missing is discipleship in the home, and uh, based on our survey, it proves itself mostly true, except for if you have eight or more children <laughs> then it, then you are expecting to do that. You were trying to raise an army, so you had to do something about it. And so, if you were to go back about 150 years to the Puritan culture, uh, there was a, uh, if at any point in America's history we were more Christian than not Christian uh, as a whole, it would be during the Puritan era of about 150 years ago. And it's not on our foundational book list. It might be on our intermediate book list uh, but James Alexander's Thoughts on Family Worship is really good. It's really just him writing notes about where he's towards the end of the, of the Puritan era. <clears throat> and, and he's actually saying, 
how much the culture has changed in about 50 years in his time. And he reminisced, and it's really just his notes. It's not, the book, the title is very true. It's uh, Thoughts on Family Worship. It's a very easy read. You can pick up sections and put it down very easily. Uh, it was originally published in 1847, to give you a, a time frame. And he said when he was a child in his town, he would reminisce because you could walk out in the streets in the evening and you could hear and go from house to house families worshiping the Lord. And you could hear, because walls were thinner back then, I guess, uh, or people were louder, is that you could walk down the street and you could hear individual houses of families, families worshiping the Lord. Um, and it was regular for uh, um, churches, regular for pastors to be instructing families, heads of households, to be having, for the families, for the father to be having family worship, or the head of household to be having family worship two times a day, seven days a week. That's in the morning and in the evening. Uh, If you've ever read um, Spurgeon or, you know, even going back just about a hundred years ago when people would write, you know, devotionals. Uh, nowadays, we have like our daily bread, which is popular in some circles. And I'm not against devotionals, but it's usually geared towards once a day or five or 10 minutes, which is good. It's better than nothing. But uh, like Spurgeon wrote a 365 day devotional for the morning and the evening, because the expectation was that you need to Uh, tap into the Lord. You need to tap into his grace. You need to receive from the Lord in the morning and in the evening. Not just once a day, but at least twice a day in some real sense. And so uh, it even was common in the Puritan era for for qualifications for elders. They would be looking at how they did family worship. And if they weren't doing family worship twice a day in, in a lot of Puritan era churches, they weren't qualified to be an era or qualified to, be, to be, a, be an elder. And so that is very different from the culture that we grew up in, that every one of us grew up in. And so we're downstream about 150 years into a very atomistic, a very individual uh, culture that where we, quite frankly, defer, respons- defer responsibility. And we've... You know, even if you grew up in a family that did do family worship, you were probably still affected by the culture at large, uh, and, and you were kind of a, an outlier in, in that culture, uh, or at least in our culture. And so um, we've been influenced by that culture, whether we think it or not, because we've been, we've been living in it, we've been steeping in it. And so what we need to do is start to think covenantally again and get back to, to household and, and family worship. And so um, in Scripture, well, I guess it's not just in Scripture, but always analogies go up. They don't go down. And so when, uh, let's turn to 1 Timothy 3.15. This is the one blatant reference to where uh, Scripture calls the church, the household of God, in First Timothy 3.15, that's talking about, what is this, in the qualifications for deacons. I'm sorry, this is just after that. He says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. And so oftentimes in Scripture, there's analogies 
that, that the church is the household of God, which is uh, kind of parallel to a temple in the same sense, but we're called brother and sister in Christ. So that means we're siblings, so that we live in a household uh, under, under one father. And so analogies always go up. They, they don't really go down. And so we learn how to operate in the household of God in the church by the way we, and we translate that into how we operate in our households. Does that make sense? We don't learn, uh, we don't learn outside of, of, of giving biblical instruction how to operate in our families by the way we live in the church, right? And so, um, and so we end up getting this culture in our church and in our communities, and we call ourselves brothers and sisters, and we say we're the household of God, but we're transporting everything that we do in our household to our church. And so we say this, or you know, some of us say this frequently or, or sometimes from the pulpit, that uh, our, a church, any church, is just a family of families. That's, you know, in some sense, in a basic sense, that's all we are as a family of families. And so if we don't like, if we don't see a, a move of the Spirit, or, we don't, and, or if our church isn't worshiping vibrantly on Sunday mornings, it's probably because at, in households, we're not worshiping uh, vibrantly, you know, lively in our households. And we can't expect to do that once a week together if we're not doing it in our households throughout the week. And so uh, we do learn analogies. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was like, well, God's our Father, and that's coming down. Uh, we don't learn about God our Father in, a, in the ultimate sense by our fathers. Uh, but uh, in that analogy, it is uh, coming down because God is eternally begetting the Son. He is eternally our Father, and so we learn, we learn that way. But anyways, um, you know, outside of, of Scripture giving us instruction on how to operate in our, in our families, we don't learn how to operate as a church, as a family, um, or how we don't learn how to operate in our families by coming to church. Right? We learn how to come to church and operate as a family here because we operate as a, as a family at home. And how we do it at home is going to translate how we do it here at church. And so uh, if we're not hospitable at home, if we're not generous with one another, uh, it is very easy to put on a mask and come here on Sunday morning and, and do that for an hour or two. But it's not real generosity. It's not real hospitality. Um, if we don't really fellowship at home with our wife, with our husband, with our children, uh, then we're not really going to do that here in the, in the fellowship hall. Afterwards, it's going to be the same thing we do at home. And so what we need is a shift to covenantal, a covenantal view of the family, um, which would put us and, and it would view our households as a little church. And so Joshua 24 14 through 15, uh, most people know the context and, and have, uh, and, and know this, talking about, you know, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord is what he comes up saying, but Joshua 24, 14, starting at 14 says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so this is right after the Lord does a covenantal renewal process and they're on the, on the eve of crossing the Jordan and they're about to take Jericho in a, in a couple days. Um, and the Lord is covenantally renewed with all of Israel by reading the law, uh, doing sacrifices, priests, uh, doing various things. And then the opportunity is to say, hey, each household has to make a decision how they're going to serve the Lord. You're either going to go after this God or you're going to go after the true God. But, uh, but Joshua was acting as a pastor in his home. He didn't say, well, as for me and, and me, I'm going to serve the Lord and I really hope my wife comes with me. And, and uh, when my children are old enough, they can make that decision for themselves. And I will, I will set out certain rules that maybe help them with that. But uh, I really hope that they chose and choose to serve the Lord. But this might be it for me and my children. Uh, they might go worship Baal, and, but me and anybody who wants to come with me, well, I'll go serve the Lord. That's not how Joshua acted. He was uh, covenantally responsible for his household, which was his, his spouse and children. And so he didn't uh, negate his, his responsibility. He viewed himself as a pastor, I think. And so how negatively would we view a pastor if... Um, if he neglected to instruct you know, his congregation in their word, if, he, if you asked him, it's like, hey, how often do you pray for your congregation? Oh, not that often. Not really. I don't really do that. Nah, I thought about it. The Lord's been leading me to pray for, for the congregation, but I've been, I've been, it's hard to find time, you know, these days. Got a lot of things going on. Or if, or if we asked a pastor, uh, you know, if, or, or if a pastor wasn't bringing about appropriate church discipline when it arises, how would we view that pastor? We would view him as negligent, as deferring responsibility, as it's not my job or I'm, or I'm too busy, right? But, but parents make that excuse all the time, right? We as parents, and, and I put myself up here too, I make that excuse all the time. My family needs to do better with family worship. And so husbands... Uh, single moms, heads of households, God has put you as a head over your home to instruct your children and lead them. And family worship is one of those things where as we get into the next couple weeks of instruction and discipline and how to raise kids uh, in a in more practical sense, that if you don't start with family worship, if you don't have that as a regular base and foundation to return to, the instruction is very hard to stick. The discipline is, is very hard to stick. And so, uh, do you think you could lead your children well in the Lord by taking them to church once a week? And for two hours a week, they get instruction on, on the Christian faith, and they get to hear the gospel, hopefully, and they get their Bible stories. Do you really think two hours a week is going to do much for your children. Uh, maybe if you had your hand raised and that was for you and you were the first one to put your hand down if you were raised in a Christian home. Uh, but I'll, I'll be that case by the grace of God. I don't know what I learned in Bible school, in Bible, in Sunday school. I went to youth group out of, uh, I had to. I remember one thing from that. Um, one actual lesson. I remember a lot of other things. But, 
Uh, and somehow, but for some reason, the grace of the Lord was still delivered to my life outside of his regular means of grace. But I don't think that's what you want for your children. I don't think you want them to divert for several years, go into the world, and, and uh, you have no real influence over them and, and hoping that the Lord diverts them back. And so God's instilled you as a, uh, as a prophet in your home to instruct, as a priest to pray for your children, and as a king to, to discipline them and, and, um, uh, and to raise them. And so when it comes to family worship, 15 minutes a day is much more powerful than two hours a week on Sunday morning. And I did the math, and in my head, I did it last night, and I did the conversion wrong, and it was like, I didn't convert minutes and hours, and I was like, oh, 15 minutes a day, that's 3,900 minutes a year if you did it five days a week. And I didn't, I was like, two hours once a week, that's 104 hours. I was like, 3,900 is a lot more than 104. <laughs> and I was getting prepared to say, 15 minutes a day is a lot more than two hours a week. But then I caught myself, and it's totally wrong. Uh, it's like 64 hours. If you were to do family worship five times a week for 15 minutes a day, that translates into about 64 hours a year. And if you just came to church, I didn't, it was 3,900 minutes, whatever, however many hours that is. You guys do the math. Uh, 60 some hours a year in family worship ends up being much more influential than the two hours a week, which is 104 hours a year. And so it's much more time spent at church, but those aren't um, pitted against each other. Obviously, you're not going to say, I'm either going to bring my kids to church on Sunday or I'm going to do family worship. But you really can do less, take less time, and have more effect in, in their life. And so it's just like practicing an instrument or, or practicing a, a sport is if you do little practices daily and do the drills and, and train your fingers on piano or violin or whatever, uh, for a few minutes a day, you get a much greater outcome towards the end goal than practicing for an hour or two once a week. And so that's kind of, I, I believe that's how the Lord has designed family worship. And so what family worship... We haven't even talked about what family worship is yet. I think you guys all have an assumption in your head, which I don't want to explain it until the end. Um, but what I, what I think the Lord puts and instills family worship for is about ordering your life around Christ and leading your household to do the same. And so uh, family worship is you, and then uh, it is worship, right? We get here and worship on Sunday morning, and it's not just that. 20 minutes when we sing, it's the whole service. It's, um, it is the fellowship after dinner. It's the, it's the preaching. It's the, the communal prayers together. It's the singing. It's everything. And so a basic model for family worship is having scripture readings or doing something from scripture, teaching from scripture, uh, praying together, and singing. And so if you don't make family worship a priority, don't be surprised if your kids don't make worship a priority, right? That wouldn't be a big surprise. Um, did anybody who, who wasn't raised in the Christian home where they had regular family worship make worship a huge priority uh, outside of maybe, being, maybe later in life being instructed to do that? 
or, or living in the community context where it facilitates it. And so <clears throat> what worship does is I've having regular family worship for really it only takes 15 minutes a day, 15, 30 minutes a day, is that you're ordering your life around Christ and, and where worship is at the center of your family and you're, uh, it's going to be very inconvenient, right? If, uh, if you're anything like me or my family, uh, we often are like trying to order our family worship around our life and trying to fit it in. And sometimes when it doesn't get fit in, we're like, oh no, it's like 10 p.m. and you should have been in bed like an hour ago. <laughs> and, but we got to do family worship. Uh, but your life should be ordered around, more ordered around the worship than it is around the other activities and other things going on. It should be inconvenient, right? How do you fit in uh, 15 minutes a day to something that's regular without it being an inconvenience, right? It's, it's, if you have any life at all, it's, it's very, uh, it's, almost, it's almost inconceivable to think that family worship wouldn't be inconvenienced. And so what, what some of us operate in is, is what I want to touch on for a minute is some of us, we have to be very careful not to use family worship as a means to worship something else. And so if you were to just take a step back uh, ask your spouse, and if your children can talk, ask your children. Kind of ask them, in, our, in your family culture or in your household culture, what can't be touched? What, and when you sp- speak, what, what in our household has blasphemy laws against it? Is it when dad's wrong? <laughs> then you worship the God of, of dad, that you can't inconvenience me, that I can't be wrong. If it's... Um, uh, you know, or whatever. Whatever can't be touched in your family culture is where your center of worship is. And if you start to move towards a practice of saying, we can't negate family worship because God is so important, you'll see a, a, a tide in your family culture being more centered around biblical principles and God. And so that's simply because you become like what you worship. Uh, Let's look at Psalm 115. I won't read the whole thing, just about half of it. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. And then it goes into, O Israel, trust in the Lord. And so the implication is that you become like what you worship. And that's not just for idol worshipers, that's for worshipers of the, the true God. And so you couldn't expect, if your heart is for your children to become sanctified, well-rounded people who love the Lord, they can't do that apart from worship. You can't do that apart from worship. You can't expect to be sanctified. You can't expect to grow in righteousness. You can't expect to grow in, in the spirit in, in any real sense, without worshiping God. 
You can't do it. It's not, if you try to do it and you think you're becoming more sanctified, you're actually just becoming more works-based righteousness. And so your children can't become godly men and women apart from regular worship. And so one of the things in Jewish culture is a, the prayer that they would recite called the Great Shema. What they called the Great Shema was a daily prayer out of Deuteronomy uh, 6 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Right? This is the next thing that he says. Uh, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so this is what they would recite daily. This is what a Jewish culture would recite daily in, in a prayer uh, of gratitude and thanks and as a constant reminder that they need to be teaching their children. Um, I don't actually know the facts on this. I tried to look it up late last night uh, to see if I could actually put some like some teeth in it. But I have a feeling that Jewish culture passes down their faith much more consistently than than Western Christians do currently. And part of that, especially if you're a, um, a traditional Jew, uh, then you would recite the Shema and you'd be reminded daily that you need to pass down these things to the next generation. And you need to talk about the law and you need to talk about loving the Lord and in every situation, you need to, it needs to be written on your doorpost and it needs to be, and you need to put a post-it note on your forehead to remind you and uh, you need to be constantly talking about it. And so uh, in the home, in the, in the church, in, in business, in government, in whatever area of leadership, good leaders always get ahead of the game. Usually, I don't want to say bad leaders, but, um, but what, I don't know, another good uh, synonym for bad that's not bad, but uh, bad leadership is always just handling the problems that are thrown at them. And so in the house, that'd be if your kids have a problem, uh, let's say they're starting to get, you do have to handle the problems that are thrown at you, but if that's the only angle you take, it's, it's not going to lead your children well. If you're always just handling their problems and they uh, don't get good grades in school, so you sit down and talk to them about why they need to get good grades. And then, oh, they punched a kid at school. And then you sit them down and talk to them about why they shouldn't punch a kid at school or Maybe ask if they should have or not. Maybe it was a good punch. Maybe it was a bad punch. I don't know. Maybe you say you don't slap them. You use a closed fist. And, but, uh, you know, if you're always handling just your kids' problems as they arise, which you do need to handle problems as they arise, but if you never get ahead of the game, that's, they're just going to be instructed by uh, uh, kind of tossed back and forth. And they're going to learn and you're going to teach them that only when I have a problem is when I should go to God and, and to the scriptures and find instruction. But if you're diligently doing family worship, you're starting to get ahead of the game. There's regular instruction, and the hope is that you have that instruction and you have that way of life of worship that before your kid punches somebody at school, they've learned uh, the Ten Commandments, and they know that you shall not murder, and in the thou shall not murder means that you have to respect all life. And maybe they read the, uh, went through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and it says if you 
uh, get slapped on the right cheek, you turn to them on the left also, and they've maybe learned something, and when they want to punch that kid at school, they, they uh, have enough of the spirit and enough instruction to, to not. And so what family worship does is really get your family ahead of the game instead of always handling problems that are thrown at you and just trying to handle them. You as a family, as a covenantal household, you have to get ahead of the game and lead them and instruct them. And so fathers, this is, or heads of household, single moms, whoever's the head of the household, you know, this is how you learn to pastor your children. Uh, again, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't think too highly of pastors who only uh, talk to you when there was a problem, right? Uh, and we got up here and was like, who wants to talk about their problems today? Let's talk about it, uh, right? Or in, even in a business, if you just, or if a, you know, a good manager or leader wouldn't um, only just be handling the problems, they would find a way to get ahead of the game with instruction with, uh, with, and various things. And so heads of households, husbands, single moms, like you have to take responsibility for your children. That's the big part of, of family worship. You have to instruct them. Uh, and in this, you grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord. Right? You learn how to pastor as you teach your children and with a lot, uh, a lot of little things here and there. And so it starts with you being the example. Right? You lead them. You lead the charge. You be the example. And so some basic, uh, I actually got really convicted uh, out of a children's book, which is about on my level. Uh, <laughs> you know it's a good children's book if you got convicted. No, it wasn't Good Night Moon. It was, uh, so we were, um, we had to go to the, to the hospital uh, to get some x-rays a few weeks ago, or maybe it was a week or two ago, and Lily grabbed some books to, to read, and she just picked them up off the shelf, uh, and in God's providence, there was one, a children's book written by R.C. Sproul, uh, which is like, oh man, that's going to be a good one, um, and so it was about family worship. It was about uh, a, a daughter who uh, had trouble like, you know, Dad, I don't know what to pray. And so the dad tells a story about uh, Martin Luther and his barber, um, who Martin Luther actually wrote a book for his barber, which, which was one of the books that he had published, or that he published or wrote, uh, on just how to pray. Like basic, like here's how you can start, start praying. I don't know what to do. And he used the Lord's Prayer as an example. And um, I was really convicted by this children's book. Uh, we can give it to you if, you're, if you want to feel convicted. Um, just about raising the level of family worship in our home. And so in 15 minutes a day, you know, we ended last week with, uh, with having family dinners and creating a culture in your home. Really, there's no bad time to do family worship unless like you're waking your kids up at three in the morning. Um, that might not be the best. But usually... When you're all sitting down, <coughs> sorry, when you're all sitting down for dinner, you're gathered, you're all there. Uh, hopefully the kids are quiet or at least somewhat ordered, but you're at least all there. Uh, that's usually a good time, or what we usually do is before bed, it's a, it's a winding down thing. And so you can incorporate basic things, um, which is, is going through the Bible, reading scripture, instruction on that, uh, prayer, prayer for one another, uh, praying for your children, and... Um, uh, what was the 
and worship and singing, yes. Uh, thank you. And so you can incorporate those things in, in 15 minutes every day. And so uh, basic examples on, on what, to, uh, what you could do is uh, Lizeth has done a great job of taking over the, the kids' class and, and using a catechism. And most catechisms are based off of the Lord's Prayer, the, uh, one of the creeds, the Apostles or Nicene Creed usually, and the Ten Commandments. And you can go through a, a catechism if you want. That's a great way to, if your kids are old enough, to stimulate their minds and ask questions. Uh, what we've done in the last few years, we've been able to get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then we started at Genesis, and we just wrapped up First Kings. And we just read through, we've just been reading through Scripture. And, and it's a great way to start getting your kids familiarized with the Bible. And, um, and the hope is, you know, when uh, uh, your kids are eight, nine, ten years old, that they would maybe be able to sit in a sermon, actually understand what the pastor is talking about, because they've heard it from their dad and their mom or or whoever. And so, uh, it's very hard if you've ever uh, interacted with a a new believer who who came, never has been in church, never heard about Jesus. Uh, never read the Bible, it's very hard to sit in a sermon and know what you're talking about. Because we have certain ways of life. We have certain ways, like if I talked about Joshua crossing the Red River, uh, the Jordan River, then you guys know what I'm talking about because you've read it, you've heard about it. It's been a part of your life, you know the story. But if you don't know the story, it's very hard to sit here and be like, I'm going to write that down. Uh, who is this Joshua fellow? And what did he do? How do I get... Um, and so by the time your kids are you know, uh, 8, 9, 10 years old, they should be able to, because you, they're so familiar with the scriptures, they're so familiar with worship and singing songs, and, and you've asked them questions, and you, know, you read through the... Uh, when we read through, when we're just reading through the Bible a chapter at a time, uh, when we got to Kings... And it says, like, uh, king, uh, whoever, reigned for two years. And we stop and say, is this going to be a good king or a bad king? It's a bad king. He only <laughs> reigned two years. Something happened. And then we read about what he did. And it's like, so, so such, and such, reigned for 40 years. They tell you that at the beginning of the, of the king's reign. And, like, is this a good king or a bad king? Oh, it was probably a good king. Or probably did some good things because the Lord let him rule for that long. And your children can really start to get familiarized with the scriptures, with this new way of life, this kind of um, using the scriptures to dictate their mind and their thought process at a very early age. Um, you know, if you just took the basis of the Lord's Prayer, a creed, and the Ten Commandments, um, and you you kind of take that into your Bible reading and, and you ask questions to stimulate your children's mind and say, okay, which, which one of the Ten Commandments did this guy break? If the Ten Commandments is the law, which one, and it says this guy did something evil and it describes what, which one did he break? Which commandments is he breaking? And it gets them to start thinking. And I don't normally ask, like, what would you do? It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you're saying you wouldn't kill uh, your family, <laughs> and different things that Bible characters do. I hope you wouldn't kill and, and commit adultery. That's a good answer. Um, but 
but I don't think the scriptures give us any specific pattern to say this is what you ought to be doing or you have to do it this way. What the scriptures are free to do is to say that heads of households, you're the pastor of your family. You take the scriptures. Here's like Jesus, you know, his disciples said, uh, teach us how to pray. And, uh, you know, if your children don't know how to pray, take them through the Lord's Prayer and talk about it and lead them through it and have them repeat after you and, and, and take responsibility for yourself, for them. And you lead them. And um, because each child's going to be a little bit different, they're going to have different ways of thinking and different uh, personalities. And you as the pastor, as you as the shepherd of their mind, of their heart, of their life, have to figure out how to lead them. And you can't fit everybody into a box. And so uh, we don't go through the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and the Ten Commandments right now. We're just reading the Bible. Uh, we... My wife has been asking me for several months that if could we start singing, and I haven't done a good job. And I say that from here because you can ask me in a couple of weeks, have you guys started singing? And then I could uh, either hang my head low or, or a little bit higher with my response. And, and so, you know, you guys really have to learn how to pastor your own family. And that's what family worship is, is all about. And in that, that you're going to be led you know, the proverb, one of the proverbs says, whoever, uh, whoever waters, this is a huge paraphrase, whoever waters is uh, watered himself. And so as you teach and lead your family, as you teach and lead your children or your spouse, and uh, you will subsequently be watered. I usually get more out of family worship than I do out of my own Bible reading in most cases, because uh, I have to think about what questions I need to ask, you know, Ask, ask Lily or, the, or, you know, a kid. And I don't always do that when I'm reading by myself. I just read and I said, yeah, I checked it off. I'm a good Christian today. Good for me. Uh, and then I try to think like five minutes later, like, what did I read? I'm like, uh, I don't remember. Uh, it was really good, though. I know that. But when, you, but when you're leading other people that God has put you in charge of, you have to ask questions. And, and just on a personal, I usually get more out of our family of worship than I do out of my own, own devotionals each day. And so that's kind of the Lord's pattern of, of raising people to lead and to teach is as you have small responsibilities and you lead and, and you end up getting more out of it a lot of times than they do. And so use that, use those patterns uh, in Scripture. Read through the Bible, worship together, um, uh, pray together, teach your kids how to pray you know, give them, and, and in this, the Lord's going to uh, lead you in, in leading them. He promises he will. And so, by the grace of God, go and do it. Just get started. Uh, if you don't find it, a, if you don't have it as a priority, make it a priority. Talk to your spouse uh, about when you could do that, about what you guys could do, and work together on that. And so with that, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, return to us, to our congregation, to each each person individually, uh, corporately, uh, each head of household, each husband and wife, uh, a responsibility that they need to lead, that they are your means of grace in their life, that we would lead covenantally in our households, that we would put you at the center in real ways. And we ask your grace by Jesus Christ to do this uh, day after day, year after year. Amen.